Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, it's my great pleasure to have on Dan Dawson. He is the senior partner and chief sales officer at Force Management. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thank you. Good to be here. I got to understand, I think, a much broader perspective of what force management does. So their focus is really on organizational transformation. The end result of that is that it helps accelerate revenue growth, valuation, and profitability. We'll get into what that means, in particular, some of their programs and some of the actionable insights that come from their command of the sale program and their command of the message program. But before we do that, I'd love to ask the usual two questions I ask our guests, which is, what's your favorite sales book of all time and why? Selling to the C-suite comes to mind. The reason why it does is because of one of the basic tenets that we have here at Force Management. If there's no business issue or business opportunity, there's probably no business. So how does a seller and the purveyor of solutions, let's call them, whether that's technology or services or combinations of those things or products, how do they come to understand and have insight into why a company would use their products. Honestly, if sellers aren't doing that, and I'm not doing that as an individual, and asking myself, why would they see value in this? I'm hard-pressed to understand why would I be spending time on it. Now, there's plenty of people who sell in a commodity way. In my view, that's not very interesting. Uh, yeah, it's interesting and challenging is more than that. And that's, the, that's, the, that's much more of a consultative relationship and, and challenge for a seller to, to do that. But it's much more rewarding as well. Yeah, it gets very much at something we were talking about just beforehand that, that you know, you and I have both had experiences where people call us trying to sell to us and they just seem to want to get to the demo as fast as possible. What are your feelings about, about that approach? I personally have a challenge with that because you could actually be detracting value from the buying side of the equation, from the buyer's point of view, by doing that, by rushing someone into a situation that is ostensibly advancing your sales process, you could be incorrectly assuming that you're making progress. And in fact, detracting from what the buyer might perceive to be useful and valuable to them. I can understand going to a demo and providing it early on in a conversation with someone to maybe educate them a little bit, but it's certainly, you, you don't even know why they would be looking at it at that point, other than by assumption. So aligning with the buyer and what we find is getting in front of that, an understanding of, back to the C-suite idea, why would they need this? Coming to the table with a hypothesis, having done a little bit of homework, can pay huge dividends. On the homework side, I mean, I guess that might get a little bit into your command of the sale. I keep calling it a program, but what's the right, how should I be describing that? Command of the sale is one of the primary areas of focus that we have. Uh, One is the actual sales conversations. And in, in a sales process or in an engagement life cycle, if you will, with the prospects and buyers and customers, those conversations that are around that value that they're deriving or could derive or might be interested in deriving those conversations. There could be hundreds of those ultimately over time, but command of the sale is really about how do we as the purveyor of these services and uh, products understand what that value is and help our buyers in the buying process initially make progress 
toward outcomes that they're trying to achieve and stay aligned with them in that process, which in some cases, I mean, it certainly isn't always aligned with what we're trying to accomplish. And we'd love to take shortcuts, all of us, and get there faster, but we got to go at this pace of the buyer. And so we work in that area as well. This sort of messaging and sales conversation fits into the whole of the process. Those conversations transform, but, but the true north for those conversations should always be about the outcomes for the so, buyer. If you think about some of the components that sit within, say, command of the sale, I know that you guys are big proponents of a sort of modification of medic to med pick. Is that one of the mm. elements, for example, of command of the sale, or is that somewhere else? It is. It actually works in both of these, uh, the sales conversation and the way to think about that, what that's made up of, a value-oriented conversation that's about outcomes. It starts with the before scenarios and then the after scenarios. Why do anything, right? And it's usually because of negative consequences that they may or may not know about on the buyer side. So sometimes that's your slightly different challenge for a seller to help them understand an unrecognized need versus help with a need that is recognized. And then on the other hand, and as far as MedPIC is concerned or MedIC, we tend to modify that where the buyer needs and desires to modify it. The P is paper process. So sometimes those buyers are in a particular market for a particular company selling something. The paper process is critical. And it doesn't necessarily indicate that it's more or less commoditized or anything. It's just an important aspect to it. And it's difficult to forecast if you don't understand that process because yeah. it can be extenuated. I've seen contract paper processes last actually more than a year versus very quick ones in other cases. Medic actually fits into the conversations using those and certainly the process. Where is the customer? What do we know about those metrics that they care about? What do we know about the economic buyer in Medic, for example? That's that C-suite, right back to that same topic. Who there really cares about those outcomes, which drives the need for our product or solution, possibly? Yeah, and Medic has that extra P and the extra C. You commented on the P, the paper process, which for the listeners, I had to look up when I first heard about it. It's things like, how do you get through the MSA? How do you build an SOW? Right. The other C that you guys add is competition. Why do you think that that extra C has become so much more prevalent in recent years? The two Cs, all of them are somewhat related, but the two Cs are actually related quite a bit. And think about it this way. The first one is champion, right? Do I actually have a champion? A champion is someone that in a particular situation has the power and influence to change the playing field and the desire to do that in your specific case, if they're your champion there's always at least two champions in any deal, any deal. And by the way, you don't get to sell these. As sellers, you're not the person that actually in the end actually sells it inside these buyer companies, especially any sort of complexity where there's a variety of uh, stakeholders in that side of it. You make your pitch or pitches, you've had your proposal out there and so on. Two proposals are on the table at least. One is my product and solution that's proposed as a seller. The other one is always don't do anything. Always. That's always in the equation. Whether you like it or not, it's in there. Somebody's at the table will say, well, why would we do this? Why don't we spend this money on something else? So there's a competition right there that's always present. That's alternate uses of funds. We're not going to buy routers or we're not going to buy this software because we have 
headcount that we're going to go do, and we'll come back to these and we'll wait for this. So it's a prioritization challenge, right? Somebody has to champion that. When they're sitting around the table, the two or the three or the seven or sometimes crazy 17 people deciding on something like this, when they're sitting around the table, which one's going to win that argument? Who's going to be armed with the best information and insight? Is your champion going to be the one? Is that the right horse to ride when you're choosing a champion? You got to be careful to understand, is this person actually able to be a champion or do they desire to be a champion, but they're really a coach? The coach is somebody who, yeah, they'll help you give you information on all these different things like the decision makers and what needs to get done. But are they really going to be the person who stands up for you and advocates for you to get it done? And I think that's the distinction that that's the champion. Yep, absolutely right. And our point of view is the champions are the ones that get those deals done. And if you don't arm them appropriately and they're not truly a champion, your risk is very high. I think you said there were two champions on any deal. What are the two? Yeah. Minimum of two. One is the champion. If you've got a champion, they want you to win. They want to go ahead and get this done and they'll work to prioritize this over other things among that group that's deciding it. The other one is do nothing or do something else. And sellers who do take competition into account, there's a third, the third one is really the, the one where it's a direct competitor and it's more easily identified who might be the champion for that inside the organization. And by the way, it doesn't have to be one person in any situation. You could have three champions in the deal, which is better, that they each have their own reasons that they want you to get that business right now. And they can help you make that happen. And that's the definition and worth of a champion. On command of the sale, before we move on to command of the message, are there any other uh, tips, tricks, techniques that are key components of the command of the sale focus area? Well, I'd say a key one is making sure that you're really truly aligning with the buying process and the group of people that need to move forward on the buying side to get it done, especially when you're considering or forecasting when it will be done. On that note, do you have thoughts or advice on establishing mutual plans between yeah. buyer and the seller? Yes, definitely. And that's particularly true in that champion, but it's also true in a think of the economic buyers orientation versus the technical buyers. Economic buyers tend to care about why are we doing it and what are the outcomes we're going to get to. And it's not that the technical buyers don't care about that necessarily, but what they really care about is how are you going to do this? How will you accomplish it? And by the way, what are the implications of how you're going to do it? In other words, what's the, for example, the switching cost? If you're going to change a CRM system, you might have some pretty significant switching costs. Whereas if you're going to add a router or a server somewhere, you might not. So the technical buyers are going to tend to care about how's this going to happen and what is it going to mean in terms of effort to do this? The switching costs, what do we stop doing or have to stop doing, et cetera. All right. So let's move on from command of the sale to the command of the message mm. focus area. Mm. What are some of the situations that you find people need organizational transformation on with respect to, again, command of the message? Being in command of your message is, first of all, understanding or having insight into what might be the problem or the opportunity that's potentially available to any buyer and in particular to a specific company, because although in the marketplace, the message out to the marketplace, your company's value proposition might be the same, right? We can improve sales. 
when you get to company A versus company X, they may express their problem and challenges that they have differently and have a different set of priorities. They may still want to increase sales, but they might have a whole different set of challenges and so on. Actually having insight into that and doing the kind of homework that you need to uh, appreciate that and understand it and determine for yourself, how do you shape that mindset from their point of view to help them reorganize their thinking in such a way where they can appreciate they have to do something about it. They have to do something now and they have to do something with me. How often do you find that you and your sellers go into organizations where they don't know the problem that they have? I'd say there's a percentage of the time that we go in where they actually conceive of the problem as, uh, from our point of view, uh, incorrectly, as a training challenge. They have a training challenge, they want to do it. Well, some of the first questions we'd ask is, well, why do you want to train people? What do you want to train them to do? And why do you want to do that? Right? And really the method is, through a series of questions and insight, come to understand where are they now in their thinking? And does that actually jive with what we believe is the right kind of a problem to potentially be solving. In those cases, it's helping them reconceive of that. I would say because we tend to get placed in a training category, what we have to do very often is help people reconceive of what are they really up to and do what we call attaching to the bigger problem. In many cases, it could be changing the nature of the relationships that they have with their customer set. A lot of times what we're called in for is when people come to realize We've got to train our people to have a value conversation because uh, we're, we're not calling high enough. And so we're, we're getting compressed into price negotiations, pitted against companies that are actually not worthy of being true competitors of ours. And so what happens often is if a buyer is somewhere in that range between being completely unaware of a problem or an opportunity and being fully aware of the opportunity and fully aware of what we do and convinced that it's the right kind of a solution set to map to their solution that they need and the outcomes they want, there's an education process. It's usually not dependent on one person. It's usually a set of people inside the organization. And that depends on the product and solution you're selling as to who that might be. I do love that perspective, which is I was assuming they either know or don't know the problem. And then if they know it, they may or may not know how to solve it. You brought up a completely different thing, which I agree is so common, which is people come in thinking they ask for the solution, but it's in fact not necessarily the best solution to the problem. Right, right. And and that's usually because they've had some experience. They may or may not have a, an incumbent in mind that they're doing business with already, or they might be thinking, well, I want to do a little better. Um, and, but this is especially true in disruptive technologies, this need to help reframe what the problem or opportunity is for the buyer in the course of your selling process, because without doing that, they won't think you're the right solution. They'll think maybe they may think you're too much or it's more than they need to buy. Some companies, some buyers, I call them buyers. They're actually not buyers at this point because they think they have it solved. They think they're being successful at a certain profitability pace when in fact your solution could double that. So what, what they think is success is actually masking what we would define as failure. So what's the secret to training that actually sticks? Like what's missing that you guys are doing that, that helps the training stick? If you focus on the wrong point in the engagement life cycle, the selling process and the engagement for after the selling process, 
as a seller, if you focus on the wrong point, meaning the close, you're missing the point. Closing a deal is not the end of the story. It's the beginning of the story. That's when the work really begins. Because what is it really the point? The real point is, as things I've mentioned a few times already in this conversation, the outcome they're trying to get to. The outcome they're trying to get to isn't to buy your product. It's not it. The outcome they're trying to get to is improved sales, improved profitability, whatever that might be. If you focus on that, then you're focused on the right thing. So let's bring it back to what we do and why we're different in that respect. We focus on the outcomes. We focus on get the training done, make it a great experience, get that emotional and and intellectual connection to that for all the constituents, the participants there, but then have, we're focused on this. What's the operational state that's changed? What happens the day after training? How's a manager going to help a seller to do that? How's the manager need to be armed with being able to do that? What about the sales enablement people? How do they play into the equation? We partner with sales enablement organizations all the time. And the whole sole purpose of that is to help them and the sales organization and the rest of the company at large come to be aligned around helping to actually make that happen and helping people through that learning curve and the forgetting curve and the relearning curve and getting better at and becoming proficient and gaining mastery and actually doing it. That's when you get outcomes. The most critical factor besides executive buy-in to whatever you're trying to do literally is the first-line sales manager and the sales engagement organization. If your first-line sales managers don't believe and understand and are faithfully able to inspect and expect and coach on those things, then any training, any process, any change will all fall flat on its face. But if you've got the first line sales managers in, then your probability of success goes from zero to hopefully 100%. Yeah, it goes, it's certainly much higher. I would argue that this uh, sales enablement and management and leadership, this is a partnership that has to occur. And that needs to be a refined and developed operating rhythm and cadence and an establishment of accountability in the process. Who owns doing what in this? And are they armed to be able to do it? And are they doing it? And helping people do that and developing that sort of a culture and approach is a difference. It definitely is a culture. And it's a winning culture is what it is. Let's hold each other accountable for doing this and getting this right. And when we do, we'll get the outcomes we're looking for. Our customers are the heroes in the book. Our customers have proven it over and over and over to us. And that's why we sustain that focus on that. And it's, by the way, it's directly related to this sales conversation and the messaging. The core of that is about what are the outcomes and what do you do? And by the way, training, I'm not faulting training companies who focus on training. But if you think about what that is, they should, and they're good at that. But what that puts in the, for a customer that puts them in position of doing is figuring out how to make sure that they make it stick. And so companies do that, but we have services and provide those as we need to for companies to help coach them there, but also uh, help them learn how to do that and instantiate that future state. So I love where you just went to, which is the core of everything you do is to help customers achieve their outcomes. So I think that's one critical takeaway. The other nugget that I I found was super valuable was your statement that salespeople don't actually close the deal that your champions do. Any other key things you want to reflect on from the conversation? 
One of the other ones in particular is this competition point that you brought up. Be aware of that because that's going to shape your sales strategy and an opportunity. You need to have a strategy for an opportunity. And I think developing that and paying attention to that and being aware in particular of the fact that doing nothing or alternate uses of funds is always in the mix, even though you might seem like you're the only ones there. The other stuff is it's an organizational competency in terms of getting this right, getting the help that individuals and teams need, and understanding that all of us at various points in time, individually and organizationally, are at different states of maturity and have different needs. And so the coaching and inspection and activity around improvement is all for the benefit of creating better proficiency and mastery, and therefore outcomes. Once again, I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Laura Hall is our executive producer. Our artwork is by Greg Klingshern. This episode was edited by Peter Lopinto. Subscribe to us on your favorite app to learn more immediately actionable best practices from our awesome guests. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast. 